The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. We're always pleased to have with us today to fill in for Pastor Jason, Mike Jones, one of our members here at RBC, and he'll be talking about trusting God from Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Let's join Mike now in his message to us. Good morning, RBC. You turn in your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 5 and 6 this morning. By way of introduction, for those of you who've only been coming to RBC for a short time, my name is Mike Jones. Virginia and I have been attending and serving Rancho Baptist Church here for about 13 years. In various capacities, we've worked with Awana. I've taught studies. Virginia worked with the women's ladies group, helping run that, and teaching Sunday school and a number of things here and serving on the elder board. I don't know if I mentioned that, but we have been serving here for 13 years. Virginia and I met while attending the college career group at Pomona First Baptist Church, and it uh, was the night that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. It was a, uh, after church there was a swim party, and I gave her a ride to the uh, swing party, and uh, the rest is history. Uh, we dated and were married in January of 1970. And this coming January, we will celebrate our 50th anniversary. And so we uh, are praising God for that. Amen. What I'm about to uh, share with you this morning, uh, and I'll be referring to the uh, during the sermon, is a short overview of how God has led us on a journey of trusting Him. Shortly after we were married, we... Uh, moved to the San Fernando Valley where we attended Grace Community Church. It was a time of spiritual growth for both of us and uh, as we learned to love and appreciate the Word of God. We were also part of a wonderful home fellowship group and within a few uh, short years, those families moved to the Oregon coast and Virginia and I decided that would be a great place to raise a family and so we moved there too. We moved into a rustic house on five wooded acres and enjoyed country living, beachcombing, fishing, and all those good things. And I managed a hardware store in town, and Virginia was able to be a stay-at-home mom. So we were living the country life. It was rather idyllic. We got involved in our local church, and Virginia was given opportunities to sing in local churches, and I was given opportunities to teach and preach not so much preach, but teach uh, Bible studies and Sunday school classes and men's Bible studies. And while I enjoyed studying the Word and teaching, I was also frustrated because I had never learned any Bible study methods. I hadn't had hermeneutics. I struggled trying to put Bible lessons together. And it was also during this time that I went to a presentation by the Northwest Independent Church Extension, the acronym is NICE, and I learned that uh, 
there are a lot of churches across the North American landscape in rural areas who had no pastors. And God began to do a work in my heart, and that was the beginning of God's call on my life for pastoral ministry. The Lord also arranged another divine appointment. I took a group of our young people from our church to a preview day at Multnomah School of the Bible. It's a Bible college in Portland. And the trip was supposed to be for the benefit of the young people so that they could see what it would be like to go to a Bible college. The thing was, I was the person who came away all stoked and wanting to go to Bible college. I'd never seen anything like that. And I just sat there going, yes, I I want to do this. And so for the next two years, we were praying about God's leading in our lives. Uh, Our church was encouraging me to uh, attend and, and get some training Virginia's Bible study group was also praying uh, to get us there. And I looked into other Bible colleges, including one that our pastor attended in Canada. And this one seemed to be the best fit for my training. So when he put it all together, this is what I knew. I knew that God was calling me to pastoral ministry. I knew that our church was uh, confirming God's call on my life. I knew that my wife's voting was yes. And I was, uh, those were the things that I knew. But there were also some roadblocks. I was managing a hardware store in town making less than $6 an hour. The Bible college I wanted to attend to in Canada uh, required that when I leave, entered the country of Canada, I would have to be able to show that I had proof of funds for a family of five for the whole school year, all the expenses, including tuition, books, and all of those things. We had no money or savings to apply to any of that. We are barely making it from paycheck to paycheck. Now hold that thought while we read our passage today. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, some of us are here this morning with circumstances that defy explanation. The choices before us seem irrational or even dreadful. Unexpected situations arise, leaving us confused and perplexed. Some are trusting you today to repair broken relationships. Others are stressed trying to make ends meet. Many are trying to decide what college to attend or what career path you have for them. Lord, I pray that you would remind us today to put our trust in you, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So there we were faced with the call of God on my life and no financial means to take the first step. And there was one more challenge, and that was I had never done well in school, grades 1 through 12. I was a D student. Uh, My report cards had comments like, Mike doesn't pay attention in school. Mike daydreams. They didn't understand what ADD was in the 1950s, and I struggled all through school. I'd never done well. I'd never read a book cover to cover until I was 22. And as a result, I had never prepared a book report. 
I had never done a term paper. I had no idea how to do research. I didn't even know how to study, and I wanted to go to Bible college. The pastor and I were accountability pastors, and I was sharing my heart one evening with them as we met. All these things that I've put before you, I was sharing with them that I believed that God was calling me to ministry, but I just looked at him and I go, I have no way to get there. And Pastor Tom said, when uh, I graduated from the school there, Beth and I sold our mobile home. We left some of the money there, and we'd like Beth and I would like you and Virginia to take that and use it to get started and go to Bible college. Well, as you can imagine, I was uh, beside myself, and my favorite expression is, I can't believe this. <laughs> and uh, I was beside myself and overwhelmed. The Virginia and I began to learn that we could trust God to supply our needs and to work in our circumstances to accomplish his purposes and to make our path straight. So I applied to Briarcrest Bible College in Canada, and I was accepted, but I was put on academic probation because of my low grade point average. Uh, So soon we were on our way to Canada, and we made the move, all five of us, and just the move was a whole story in itself. Uh, We were trying to get our old Buick uh, ready to go, and we had a U-Haul trailer, and every time I put the U-Haul trailer on the hitch, it was so overloaded, the front end of the car did a wheelie. <laughs> I had to uh, go buy air shocks and put them on so I could get the back end of the car up and keep unloading and reloading to get the trailer ready. The car kept overheating practically all the way through the gorge area from Portland going over to Idaho, and all the way the car was overheating My wife called the pastor and said, are you sure God is wanting us to do this? But we believed that he was. So that was a whole story in itself. And the funds that we were given to get started uh, were not enough for a four-year program. And actually, after the first uh, semester, I had uh, paid for and I made the payment for tuition for the second semester, and we were broke. All the money had run out. It was Christmas time, and there we were sitting in our mobile home. Most of the students had gone home to their families for the winter, uh, the Christmas break, and uh, we were discouraged and depressed, wondering how we were going to get through that. Around that time, the phone rang, and it was a kindergarten teacher. She said, are you home? We'd like to come over. And Virginia said, yeah, sure. Well, what had happened was the kindergarten class had been having a food drive, and they'd collected a bunch of food, and they had chosen the Joneses to give the food to. So after bad-mouthing God for bringing us to this place, like, you know, remember the children in the wilderness? And they said, you brought us to this place. We want to go back to the pots of meat. And after bad-mouthing God, he sends the kindergartners over with groceries to rebuke me. <laughs> and uh, it was just a real blessing. We were totally dependent on the Lord, and the time doesn't allow for me to share the numerous ways God supplied for our needs. Many of our friends sent us money, which usually arrived just when a bill was due. Last night I did a, uh, made a copy out of a journal that I was journaling in. And it goes like this. April 26, we received a note from Dr. Bill Hildebrand. He was the dean of students. 
that $400 was put on our school account. Our semester is half paid for already, exclamation mark. September 28, we only have $2 left, and we need gas money to go preach at Drexford. I was preaching in my fourth year at a uh, small country church about an hour from the Bible school out on the Canadian prairies. We got two checks equaling equaling $110, and with the exchange rate, it comes to $144. Praise the Lord. October 5th, we only have $5, plus $20 U.S. that we were holding on to to send for birthday gifts. The Canadian Thanksgiving was in three days, and so we wrote a check for $20, and we're going to deposit the 20 to cover it. When we got home, a turkey was sitting on the kitchen table and an envelope containing $25. We had friends over for Thanksgiving dinner. They both had to work that day, so it was a real treat for all of us. October 9th, Thanksgiving money down to $2. I don't know how we always got down to 2 we always had a couple bucks to blow. We received our regular support of $155, and with the exchange rate, it made it $200. We got the dryer fixed and moved it over uh, to the, where we were, and uh, that'll save us $3 a week or $40 a semester for not having to pay uh, fees at the laundromat. We had a guy during our Bible school years who called himself the margarine man, and whenever we were gone we would come back and there would be a supply of margarine. You didn't have to worry about it melting when it was 30 below zero. (laughs) One time Virginia went to the campus grocery store and she had bought groceries, or to buy groceries, and she only had a certain amount of money. When she got to the cash register, she didn't have enough, and she had to put it back. And she went home crying. Why, Lord, did I have to be embarrassed like that? And about 30 minutes later, there's a knock at the door and somebody's standing there with about three or four bags of groceries. We had in Canada, there's socialized health care, so we never had to worry about a doctor bill. And God also helped me in my studies and I was able to make the dean's list in the first semester and able to come off of academic probation. When we were leaving Canada the first year, we had to check out at the immigration border. We were there with a student visa, so we weren't allowed to work. And when we leave the country, we had to show that we left the country. And when the immigration officer looked at the document that was uh, the visa that we were allowed to come into the country with, he looked at the amount that was written in that showed what our fees were for the year that should have covered all our expenses. And he took one look at that, and he says, I can't believe that let you in on that amount of money. Well, now I'm scrambling all summer long trying to make money to get back for the second year of school, remembering what this immigration officer said on our way out. And long story short, we're now back at the Canadian border meeting with the immigration officer, and I just tell the guy up front, I know what I need to have, but I only have $500 in my pocket. So we're coming back to the Canadian border to go to school, tuition, expenses, to live in the country with $500 in our pocket. The immigration officer looked at me, looked at the form, and he wrote, confirmed, and allowed us to go on in. When I got to school, 
I got a call to come meet with the finance office to see how are we going to pay for school, and I was sort of dreading that. I went to meet with Liz in the office. She handed me an envelope. Our tuition had been paid for the first semester by an anonymous donor. Why did the officer let us in? Because the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. He allowed us in, and God met the first semester's tuition bill. This was a four-year experience. We lived by faith, trusting God to provide for our needs. And I graduated in a suit that was bought by a friend, and another friend bought Virginia a nice dress, so we both looked good for our graduation photos. And a few months later, I was called to pastor my first church on the Canadian prairies in Roblin, Manitoba. This morning, I want to share three reasons why you can trust God. And the first reason is because God is sovereign. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does it mean to trust the Lord? The word actually has the force of uh, relying on someone or something for security. John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands, and he was trying to translate the word trust from the Gospel of John, and he couldn't come up with the word. The natives there were cannibals. Nobody trusted each other. There was nothing in their vocabulary uh, for the word trust. There was nothing in their language. So his native servant came into his home and he asked the native servant, what am I doing? And the servant said, well, you're sitting at your desk. And then Patton leaned back on his chair and he took his feet off the ground. And he said, now what is I doing? And the native used a verb which means to lean your whole weight upon. And John Patton used that word to translate the word to believe in or to trust in Jesus in his translation for the gospel of trust. That's what trusting God means. It means totally relying on him with all your heart. Look also at the word Lord in verse 5. You'll notice that it's typed with a large L, and then the O-R-D is all in caps, but they are uh, small caps. The translators of of your Bible have done that because they are trying to help you distinguish between Lord, as in the Lord Jesus, Lord Adonai, and the Lord God Jehovah, the Lord Yahweh. This is the God who is the I Am. When Moses was supposed to go to Pharaoh and he asked God, who am I supposed to say sent me? God said, tell him, I am who I am is sending you. God is the self-existent, sovereign God of the universe. And he was saying to Moses, I'm, I'm everything you're going to need. That's what trusting God means. It means totally trusting in him and totally trusting in his sovereignty to uh, help us get through our situations. Here in Proverbs, we're told to put all our trust in God, this great I am. This is the God who spoke ex nihilo and created the universe. Do you think you could put your trust in him? You're not sure. I don't know if this is going to work. Let's try this again. Do I have a witness? Do you believe you can trust in this God? 
creator of the universe. Author Jerry Bridges wrote in his book, Trusting God, the truth we must believe is that God is sovereign. He carries out his own good purposes without ever being thwarted, and he directs and controls all events and all actions of his creatures that they never act outside of his sovereign will. We must believe this and cling to this in the face of adversity and tragedy if we are to glorify God by trusting him. God is sovereign because he is, among things, all-knowing. He's omniscient. There isn't anything that's going on in your life that God doesn't know about, past, present, and future. God is also omnipotent. He has the power to take the rocks off your, off your wagon and move the obstacles that are in your path. He's also omnipresent. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, Where could I flee from your present? And he goes down a number of lists of different places. If I ascend to the heavens or to the depths of the sea, there's no place that you could go that God isn't. God is omnipresent. So he's able to, he's with us in the deepest valleys of life and the happiest moments of life that we experience. And so because he is sovereign, He is worthy of our trust. But this verse also tells us some things that we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to lean on our own understanding. We usually have this backwards. We um, try to figure everything out on our own, by our own wits and our human reasoning without relying on God. It's sort of like, well, I can manage these things, but then I bring in the big guy here if I've got some problems. And we have it backward. We try to figure things out. And sometimes we run ahead of God and we miss out on the blessing that he has for us. And sometimes we make things worse. Have you ever done that? You run ahead of God. God says, wait, but you got a better plan. He says, don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways. Why would you try with your little frail mind think that you've got a better plan than the God of this universe? It's ridiculous. We are to trust in the Lord as we make our plans, our choices, and as we face the trials of life because God is sovereign. And then we can trust God also because of his goodness. The psalmist said, Give thanks to the Lord, the same Lord we're talking about, for he is good and his love endures forever. In his classic book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer defines God's goodness this way. The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is tender-hearted and of full sympathy, and is unfailing toward, he has an unfailing attitude toward all moral beings. He is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people." But think for a moment what it would be like if God were sovereign and he had all those attributes of omnipotence and omniscience and omnipresent and the other omnis, but he he was a tyrant. What it would be like to serve a God like that. In fact, many cultures around the world serve a God that they have perceived in their mind of being a God like that. And so they live their lives in fear and trepidation 
always trying to do things to appease God so their crops aren't destroyed or they don't fall into some illness. They live in a dark world, but instead we serve a good God. And if we don't believe in the goodness of God, that he is good, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, that means that there's no sub-sinister plot in the mind of God. God's not looking for you to have a great experience and then come along and kick the stool out from under you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we don't believe that God is good, then we're going to have difficulty trusting him because at the core of our thinking, we're going to be thinking or believing that we don't want to trust in him because he doesn't have our best interests at heart. And we'll want to be in control and try to work everything out on our own. And trust me, from my book, Things that I Learned the Hard Way, this only leads to stress, worry, and anxiety. It robs us of our joy and our peace. And I have a confession to make, and it's an area of my life I'm not proud of and I'm ashamed to admit. But at times I've struggled understanding the goodness of God. I interpreted circumstances of my life in a negative way and felt that God had been unfair with me. I mentioned that I'd gone on to pastor my first church. In that first church, there were a number of great, uh, good things that happened while we were there. But there are also things that happened that if I were to share them this morning, you would shake your head in disbelief. And after three years, I resigned, discouraged, heartbroken. I can remember driving the big truck with all of our furniture as I drove away from town and making my way out, driving down the hill, crossing the lake of the prairies, sobbing. Why? After all of what we'd gone through to go to Bible college, to be a pastor, that things didn't work out. And I felt that God had not come through. A year later, the church had a revival. They wrote us and asked for forgiveness for the way they had treated us. And by God's grace, we were able to write back and forgive them and remind them that it's all under the blood. I've had to grow in my walk with the Lord, and my uh, my attitude has changed. And uh, I'm also happy to report that uh, a few years later, several years later, I went on to pastor a second church, and that was a very positive experience. So God uh, restored me and uh, allowed me to have that opportunity uh, that I had sought while I was in Bible school. One of Satan's tools is to cause you and me to doubt the goodness of God. He likes to point out how well others are doing while you're slugging it out. You see your neighbor who has the dream job going to work every day and you only can dream about having the dream job. And maybe things are going well and then you get the news. You have an illness that you can't even pronounce. Uh, Your ongoing illness includes pain, nausea, sleepless nights, hours in waiting rooms. Or your boss calls you in to say the company is letting you go And it's at the worst possible time. Or your plans for retirement will have to wait or they change and you're sitting in God's green room waiting for something to happen. 
And it's a time like that that Satan whispers in your ear and says, and where is your good God? And if you're not convinced that God is good, you're going to have trouble putting your trust in God. God has been good to me and my family. And as I've grown older, I have uh, come become more thankful for all he has done. I mean, Virginia and I, sometimes we just look at each other and I just can't believe how God has taken care of us and all the opportunities uh, that we have been afforded. And I'd also pause to say that uh, I'm thankful for the body here at RBC. Uh, You've been a blessing to Virginia and I as uh, she has battled cancer for the last several years. The thyroid cancer uh, spread into her uh, lungs and uh, we're thankful for all the cards, the prayers, the support, the meals that were delivered. About a little over a year ago, we were moving from our house into a new house, and escrow had enclosed. We were on this tight time frame because we had about three days to be out of our house and into the new house. Because Virginia was only able to do so much, we really weren't prepared for the move and the night before we were supposed to make the move, Al Gilbertson, who was arranging volunteers to help with the move, said, uh, I don't know how this is going to go because I've only had about three people get in touch with me. And I just laid in bed that night and I just said, God, this is just too big for me. You've got to do something here because uh, I just can't take anymore. And the next morning I got up, I went to the U-Haul place, I rented the biggest truck I could find, got back to the house at 8 o'clock, And 20 people from RBC showed up uh, with trucks, with trailers, with dollies, with binding twine and tape. By 2 o'clock, I was taking the truck back to uh, the U-Haul rental. Everything had been moved across town from Murrieta over to Hot Springs. And we were in our house, and one of Virginia's friends set up our whole bedroom. So the bed was made, the lamps were up, the end tables were there, and we could at least have our crash our first night in our new house and the way God worked that out. So we're thankful to uh, you folks here at RBC for standing with us. And God truly made our path straight. The third reason we can trust God is because knowing God results in blessing. Look at verse 5. It says, in all your ways acknowledge. And what does it mean when it says all your ways? Well, You could look at all the translations you want, and you can look at a lexicon. Um, It'll tell you it means in all your ways. As you go through life, doing life, going about daily living, the choices you make, the encounters that you have with people, the way you conduct yourself, in all your ways, acknowledge God. But acknowledging God is interesting. It's not just giving God a head nod. Oh, yeah, God, you're there. I acknowledge you. Check that box. The word to acknowledge really comes from a Hebrew word, yada, which means uh, to have the most intimate friendship that you can have with someone. So this is not just a head nod to God. This means that you are in a deep, intimate relationship with God. For instance, it's used of Moses. Uh, God said to Moses, uh, and he spoke to God, He spoke to Moses this way. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing for you, which you have spoken for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. 
God and Moses had a face-to-face relationship. It was deep. And when it's talking about acknowledging God in all your ways, what it's really talking about is having this deep personal relationship. If I were to paraphrase that, I would put it like this. As you go about living life, do it in a love relationship with God that is deep and personal. That's what this text is telling us to do. It's not just knowing about God. I lived on a Bible college and seminary campus for 12 years. Between those two churches, Virginia and I went back and worked at the Bible college I graduated from. I've known a lot of guys that could talk about Greek and Hebrew and syntax and all of those things, but there's something missing, like a little fire in their belly. (laughs) They have a lot of knowledge about God, but that relationship uh, doesn't always come through. In fact, when I was uh, in my fourth year of Bible school, I gave a salvation message. And I was preaching out of Hebrews where it talks about if you neglect so great of salvation and not to uh, keep putting God off, if you uh, continue to say no to God uh, and so forth, At the end of that sermon, one of the fourth-year students came up to me and said, you know, that's exactly where I was. He was a fourth-year student in pastoral ministry, and he knew that he wasn't a Christian. There are a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge about God, but they don't know God, and we are to have a deep relationship with God. And when that's happening, and when we are trusting in Him with all our heart, and not leaning on our own wits and our own acumen, and we're acknowledging God through a deep abiding relationship with him, then God will make your path straight, just as he did for the Joneses. We talk about trusting God. It doesn't mean I never just sat back and said, well, I wonder what God's going to do next. I hustled. I I tried to do odd jobs that I could do. I worked in the summer uh, fixing bikes, painting houses, every odd job that I could do, trying to make enough money for the year. But I also did that knowing that it would be inadequate, that I would still need God to come through in a big way to make things happen. So trusting God is is uh, doing the best you can with the acknowledgement that you need God in your life as you go through and to help you with those things that you are trying to accomplish, and he will make your path straight. Well, the starting point for trusting God really is your salvation because the first thing that God's interested in, it says he wants us to trust in him. Uh, Jesus wants us to accept him as as our personal savior. And the starting point to trusting God is putting our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation. And if you haven't done that this morning, there are people that love to talk to you about that, help you with that. But what are you trusting God for today? Is it a relationship? Is it finances? Is it a career? What are you trusting God for? And what has the Holy Spirit revealed to you today that keeps you from trusting God with all your heart? I shared a little bit of my life and some of the trust issues that I have, but what is it that you hold on to that keeps you from wanting to trust in God with all your heart.
And with that, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, and I thank you for your faithfulness over the years to me and my family, so many of my friends and people I know. I thank you that you are good. I pray this morning, Lord, for those who might be struggling with trust and leaning on you with everything, that uh, today might be a turning point for them where they begin to experience what we experience and to be able to stand back and see you work in marvelous ways. And then we'll be able to give you the glory for all that you do in their lives. And I commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.